Welcome to Dwight and Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the behind-the-scenes podcast about everything Dwight. I'm Josh Breslow, and I play Yakopo. Today, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 6, Truthberry Cobbler, story by Sloan Morgan Siegel and Caitlin Carmichael, written by Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams, directed by James Larkin, guest starring Evan Hofer, Danielle Bizzuti, Bonita Frederici, Pierce Joza, and Jorge Rodriguez. As always, we have a blanket spoiler alert, so if you haven't watched Season 2, Episode 6, stop whatever you're doing. You can track down your lost Nana later and watch Truthberry Cobbler either on BYU TV or at BYUtv.com slash Dwight. A quick recap. The gang goes camping, and Dwight makes his famous Dutch oven blackberry cobbler. But, it turns out, he used the truthberries that grow outside Greta's castle instead of blackberries, so the whole team can't stop the flow of truthiness coming out of their mouths. Meanwhile, Nana has disappeared and two handsome woodcutters are about. What are they up to? And how will the gang find Nana? And how many times must they all embarrass themselves before the truthberries wear off? Now that everyone's been brought up to date, let's get to our guests. Back with us is co-creator and co-showrunner of Dwight and Shining Armor, Brian J. Adams. Hello, Josh. Hello, Brian. Welcome back. And for the first time this season, we have our BAFTA-nominated witch, Danielle Bazzuti, who plays Hexala. It's become my moniker. Thank you. (laughs) You got it. It has. Welcome, welcome. Oh, it's so good to have both of you here. So, Brian, um, this episode is written by you and Leanne, but Sloan and Caitlin, our Dwight and Greta, have a story by credit. Right. Um, which I believe is the first story by credit on this show up to this point. That's true, up to this point. Um, how did this come about? So it happened pretty organically. Uh, the I, I really feel like our cast uh, is kind of like the show's biggest fans. Uh, and we are. <laughs> yes, we are. That's right. And, and we um, sort of cruelly keep everyone in the dark about what's going on. <laughs> and so they will, they will always corner us at lunch and say, what's going to happen next? And what did, what you know, uh, what happens if, if this? And then they'll also say, how about this? And, and they, they will come up with these storylines. And so um, uh, Caitlin and Sloan especially were doing a, a lot of that last year. And then they set a meeting with us and they said they had a formal pitch for an episode. Oh, and, wow. I mean, that was a little, you know, a little nerve wracking, uh, but a little exciting and, and just adorable. And these two, <laughs> you know, young people coming into our office and they had it all prepared. They clearly had, you know, written it out and practiced it. And they had a super fun pitch. It, it, so and we used that as sort of the seed for this uh, this episode. They, they It was about it was a camping episode. They all uh-huh. went camping and there was a truth ser- serum involved. And it, there were... Um, it was actually a pretty big episode. I mean, if we had done it, it would have been two or three episodes. They had really fleshed out a cool story. It would have been our whole budget, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> entire show budget. Ex- exactly. So we ended up taking that as sort of the jumping off point, and we especially latched onto the idea of camping um, and the truth serum. And uh, it, so they definitely earned their their story by credit, uh, and we used that as a as a starting point for Toothberry Cobbler. And of course, we you know put our own spins on it. Very cool. So they brought in those two elements, and then you brought in the woodcutters and the queen tree and, yes. and the yep. way that the truth serum was being brought and of course wrote Correct. the entire episode. Well, remember, this is a 14-year-old girl and an 18-year-old kid. Boy, exactly. And they blow my mind. I yeah. mean, they were so diligent in their pitch, the, the detail. And I'm thinking to myself, I want to come back as one of them because there's no way I would have, at 14 years old, been able to go into a room and pitch 
a story idea. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. I, I've, I've been on that side of the table. I'm mostly on that side of the table, and it's very nerve-wracking, especially at 14 years old. I couldn't string sentences together. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> they, blow, they blow our mind. <laughs> we were really impressed with, with the story, and there was a lot of there that we loved um, and that we incorporated into the episode. That's so cool. All right, so Danielle. Oh, dear. In this episode, Baldrick and Hexla's relationship takes its next step. They're going camping together, which is always a potential relationship killer. Setting up tents can be so tense. Ooh. You're welcome. That's right. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> um, what do you think Hexla expects going into this little getaway with Baldrick? <sighs> well, Hexla has an outfit for everything. <laughs> so, we need to see Hexla's closet one of these days. Right, right. It's a, it's a, the other floor to leave. If we yeah. twist Ooh. that, then it's actually the wardrobe, shoes, bags. Yeah. yeah. And this is how you get a story by credit. Hello, Cody. <laughs> Hexla's closet. The hidden, hidden chamber. Um, I think that whenever she gets an invitation to be around the magician, she's... She's intrigued, you know, it's and, and she's, of course, at this point in the story, warming up to the other people in his world, um, you know, but those relationships with them haven't quite hit that soft spot in her heart. But I think this episode might actually be the one because she has zero defenses up, obviously, when the, uh, the truth berries hit. So, yeah, I think she was intrigued by it. And but she always has to play a little coy. Of course, when I come in, it's like I'm walking into Greta's house and oh, Baldrick, what are you doing here? <laughs> so oh, interesting. I'm so surprised you. to see you on the banister. At the <laughs> Do you stairs. come here often? Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's for Hexel it's very skeptical and cautious but intrigued by whatever it is about Baldrick that keeps you intrigued. Indeed. I think she just troubleshoots her whole life. She's like she's like a chess player. She's yeah. like ten steps ahead. Uh -huh. For sure. And she's got it all mapped out until yeah. she eats. The Truthberry Cobbler. And then everything falls apart. <laughs> oh, it just, it, 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 you know what? H-E-L-L -L in a handbasket. <laughs> Let's listen to a clip. I don't like it at all. You suspect foul play? I don't like my new body spreads. It smells like cheese. I had noticed. Oh, wait. Now I smell it. Hmm. Something's not right, Baldrick. Like an aged white cheddar. We keep saying everything that pops into our heads. We do, don't we? Why would they make a body spritz that smells like cheese? I like cheese. Well, I like some cheese. I like cheesecake. <laughs> See, we're doing it again. You are right. And your eyelashes are enchanting. They're fake. <gasps> I don't care. I have to get away from you. I've spent years cultivating the perfect, mysterious, alluring mystique. And I love it. Oh, I'm ruining everything. <laughs> oh. That is more woman than I can handle. So we get to the fun of this episode, which is that everybody is saying what they're thinking oh, without being no. able to stop. So I'll start with you, Brian, on yeah. this. Um, what was it like writing everybody's inner monologues as dialogue? It's so much fun. <laughs> it's so much fun. Because usually as a writer, you're trying to be really discreet and you're trying to dissemble everyone's uh, true intentions. Concealing and, it, yeah. yeah. Hiding everything, what they're really feeling. Um, and you never want to use the, the subtext for text. You you want to stay above, way above what they're really thinking. But this time we just blew the lid off that <laughs> and we got to actually write everyone's inner monologue. And it's, it's super fun. And of course, the most fun of all is to write Hexala 
because Hexala is the most closed, she's the most veiled, uh, the most dissembling mm-hmm. uh, character we have. And then for her to, you know, to have the curtain pulled back, and she's like, <laughs> and, and to, to see what's going on in Hexala's, you know, inner monologue was was definitely the most fun of all. I love that. So, so Danielle, let's talk about that. What is it like coming into an episode? I mean, it's it's not a care. It's not like you're playing a different character, but it's close because you're saying things that you would have never said. What was it like to? speak your inner monologue. Well, that's Hexla's worst nightmare. Right. I mean, let's, let's get clear about something. Yeah. Like she was fa- she was literally coming apart at the scene. I'm ruining everything. I'm ruining, yes, I'm ruining everything. Oh my god. Um, but yes, it you know it felt like as an actress what it must be like to be on a soap set because they yeah. they literally speak their subtext. <laughs> it, it, it is there's nothing concealed. There's no um there's no happy secret. There's no the subtext is all out for everyone to see. So um it felt freeing as an actress and and I mean and I, I think to some degree even despite herself for Hexala even though it was literally torture. I mean you see how she's beat, she's tortured uh the entire episode. Um I think that there might have been a, almost a little bit of a sense of Hmm. I wonder what happens now that, <laughs> that you know Baldrick knows these things. I mean, it's re- I think it's really between them. I mean, I don't think she really it took into consideration how, you know how 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 the kids were were feeling about these things she was saying. But it was everything about you right. know the eyelashes being fake and you know how, how she felt bloated in the morning and she can never do her hair right and all she's she's stringing him along and it's just like oh my god. So much truth comes out. So much truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it must be a bit of a, a relief on some level. It's yeah. like when you don't want to admit that you were lying about something and you do and then maybe someone's angry but you feel now. so yeah. much better totally. it's a lot of energy to keep things a secret it's you true. know and i mean you can you can call them lies i would never say that about myself <laughs> but yeah to uh, be beguiling and yeah. uh, alluring yes, yes. <laughs> that's yep. right um, so because of that we get the first honest moments from baldrick and hexla in their entire relationship yes. i think you know he admits he wants to be alone with her she <laughs> admits some self-consciousness about her age no. and then she admits she's stringing baldrick along do you think their relationship could have ever moved past the cat and mouse game without this game-changing moment of having to tell the truth? This is the portal that I think brings them into it. And I and I, I don't think that they're ever the same quite after this episode. Yeah. Actually, and I hadn't even thought about it because now, of course, in hindsight, I know where we're going right. story-wise. Right. But this really is a turning point. And sometimes it takes a magical berry that grows out of a warrior <laughs> princess's castle. To, as they say. <laughs> to, yes. a, as one would. Um, yeah, uh, to actually be actually live a life of authenticity. This is not even... I Hexel has never even considered considered what that is right. because she you know it, it's all about staying in control mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that true to the um, the story and in, in, in which we're in I mean during medieval times people weren't talking about their feelings it was it was fight and flight and it was you know it's survival and it's it's power and it's you know how, how do how do I survive the next you know t- 10 years in, in, right. in these sort of more hostile environments so right. we weren't going to therapy we weren't talking <laughs> about our feelings so I mean as you're, you're talking yeah. about fish out of water and worlds colliding I mean this is a whole new concept talking about sure. truths and feelings Absolutely. so yeah it's exciting yeah I it, definitely softens her and it definitely brings them closer together in a way that would have never happened if it had not been for the berries. Yeah, because friendships form when you get to see someone be vulnerable. Yeah. That's right. when you oh. get to... Yeah. Absolutely. That's, a, that's a bad word, vulnerability. <laughs> 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 <Right>. <laughs> Terrifying vulnerability. Okay, so so that's Hexla and uh, Baldrick, but now there's the other pair. Yeah. And this is the most honest Greta and Dwight have been about their feelings toward each other with each other. Um, do you see this as a major shifting point in their relationship now that some of their private feelings 
feelings are out in the open. Absolutely. I mean, just like with Hexel and Baldrick, I think this was a, this was a, a turning point, uh, a, a level up in the relationship between Dwight and Greta, as as evidenced by that beautiful last you know closing moment where they're sitting at the queen oh, tree, so nice. leaning on each other. And I actually just got chills thinking about I did it. Too. You know, I literally and, just yeah. got chills. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and Dwight's amazing line, Sloane's a performance. You know, she's beautiful, Greta. And so that that was that was a big moment. Then we hadn't haven't seen that. And and I think that moment was born of uh, of two things. One, the vulnerability that they each showed, uh, even though <laughs> they were sort of forced into it. Uh, <laughs> but they, they did see a little bit uh, of that vulnerability. And then, of course, the thing that Dwight and Greta have always been able to you know bond over is uh, the fact that they both lost their their parents. Uh, and, and so this is a moment where they can they can really you know support each other and, and understand each other. You know, it's so interesting you bring that up because I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I do see this as a show about orphans a lot mm. of the time because it's not just Greta and Dwight. It is also Hexla, Clodwig, Yacopo. A lot of That's the char- a lot of the characters we see we don't they they've been on their own for right. a while. They have. I mean, they were in in the woods that day uh, yes. that the, that the champion spell was cast and and their people may or may not have been in the woods with them and if mm-hmm. they weren't then they're gone forever um so you're you're right and that's, that's a very astute point that this this is a show about orphans because so many of the characters were orphaned that day because their people were outside of the reach of the champion spell yeah and not to get too corny but something i love about the show also is that it's about a bunch of people who don't have necessarily biological families yeah. and they're yeah. they're finding their as chosen. I've heard it say, logical families. Chosen oh, family. Cool. Yeah. Chosen family. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just something I love about the show. So Danielle, we've talked about it before on this podcast, but I can't get over it, and I don't, and I don't want to. Um, <laughs> you and Joel are like a perfectly tuned comedy duo. It's crazy. Even though Hexla is very eccentric, she's unflappable, and she always knows the answers. She uses confidence, and now all of a sudden we get this scene with Baldrick where she can't shut up. <laughs> the only thing she can do is scream in horror and run away. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you had to show this other side of Hexla, did you prep this episode differently than any of the others? Um, th- th- sh- this feels more like me than than, than <laughs> actual Hexla. Um, I wish I could be as um, what is it restrained? Yeah. <laughs> what is that word? Yeah. Because well, listen, I'm Italian. Okay, yeah. so, like it's all on the table, and I always play these women that are restrained and powerful and divisive in what they say, and it's just like that is not me at all. And they right. and they can ask for what they want in a way where they get it. And I'm like, damn, if only I could just, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, I'm not doing too bad, but but I learn a lot from these characters. But yeah, it felt a lot more like me just kind of letting it all out. And that that whole scene where we're, we're searching for Lady Nana, um, <laughs> and I, I can't get over how I smell like cheese from this new body spritz. And, and it just, and then we just go on this diatribe about our favorite kinds of cheese. Joel and I, to this day, I like cheese. I mean, we, this is our running I've joke. heard them do it so many times. So it just, many times. Happens. Well, I like cheesecake. Um, you know, we, uh, Joel and I adore working together. I, I could, I could go on. We could do a whole podcast about my love for Joel yeah. McCreary. First of all, his kindness and his comedic chops and. He and I had just we, we it's it's it is a love affair mm-hmm. of of uh, two actors coming together, and I feel like we have found our funny bone. We found our funny bones as individual actors, and together it's just become this dynamic duo. It's, it's great. It's it's pure I mean, gold. Eminently watchable. <laughs> yeah, just forever. Uh, perfect. Uh, okay, so so Baldrick and the whipped cream. Um, <laughs> oh, that was so funny. <laughs> 
Was this another perfectly honed comedy duo? Yes. Right. <laughs> was this scripted? Was this a Joelism? Was it a Larkinism? So th- there, there was whipped cream in the script, and th- that was actually part of this. Uh, the one of the things that Hexla kept going back using her portal to get you know modern stuff, and whipped cream was one of them. So, uh, so it was in the script, but the way that. Joel took it, and and James Larkin also. Uh, they took it to a whole nother level that that we never could have imagined. And that that beautiful, <laughs> incredible moment at the end of probably the best scene we've ever shot. Leanne sev- said several times that 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 uh, scene about the cheese, the cheese. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's and a that perfect comedy bit it, it, from start to finish. It, it, it is. Good. And Leanne said several times that's her favorite scene, and I, I cannot argue with that. But and so that moment, the button at the end of that scene where he says, "That's more woman than I can handle." Squirt. I mean, that was all jo- all Joel. And I got to give him credit and, and really? you know, everlasting gratitude for that. Okay. So I know you generally do your own stunts, which is awesome. What was it like doing the fireman's carry with Jorge? <laughs> God bless Jorge. Yeah. I, I was literally, a, like, a, I mean, can I say molestation? Of this? Like, I feel like I was abusing, hashtag me tooing him the whole time. And I, he was like, I'm like, are you okay with this? He's like, yeah, is the network okay with this? I said, I don't know. I'm just going to keep going. Um, um, yeah, uh, I just felt, you know, um, fortunately, I don't have all that armor on me. So, right. uh, but I am, I'm five foot eight. I'm, I'm, I'm not a pixie by any means. <laughs> and uh, he's strong enough, but it was so fun. I mean, at that point to just sort of be like a munchie cheat, like wrapped around him or like a koala bear, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, so much fun. It looked like a fun moment. What was casting like for Emilion and, uh, Yaska? Did, did you simply tell casting to fetch you the handsomest men in the land or how did that work yeah we, we just based it off of a fireman calendar <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, such. It, it, yeah hunky hunky woodsman was a, a, a big part of it and and it's Sounds funny like a great band name right yeah we're the hunky we're the hunky woodsman <laughs> you could be the 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 lead man yeah. for that. <laughs> so uh, you know we the hunky woodsman look was a big part of it and and actually i remember the the casting a lot of the the dudes came in shirtless because it talks about you know and their about them being shirtless so we got to see all sorts of <laughs> stuff. and really we, it, it, it got to the point where like Leanne we'll let you pick this one you know, <laughs> which one which everyone gets your motor running the, you know, the best uh, so and that's but, how you have a healthy marriage yeah right? exactly <laughs> but you know, and also a, a big part of it of course their father and son in the story so they had to look you know something you know in the same world of each other mm-hmm. and uh, there's, there's another thing that we a lot of the people we cast to come out of the woods they have to have it's difficult to describe an intangible element where they have a period look. Uh, you know, and we, what we always say is, no, they look like they just came from the mall. Uh, you know, and, and that can that kind of just came from the mall look can be across genders, across you know uh, uh, different races. They just have a real modern look, and, and anyone from the, the woods can't have that look. And and that's you know, something that Jorge and Pierce had is just just a, a an intangible thing that yeah you believe that they are from a thousand years. It's ago. It's like something primal. Yeah, yeah it yeah. just they exactly. They, it's really tough to describe, but you know it when you see it, and especially you know it when you when you don't see it when they have that. I just came from the mall look you're like no it's not gonna work they look like they came from the mall which i imagine in this industry happens all the time yeah for sure i I mean most of the time you know actors do have like a a mod they're like the hippest you know coolest people and they all look like they just came from the mall that's Uh, really good advice for people that are actors listening to this podcast to really think about the 
where your character comes from when you go into an audition and it's not just about looking as trendy and perfectly put together as possible all the time. You're making decisions so fast mm-hmm. as a showrunner, especially yeah. in television, yep. right? So you need to see it when they walk in. Yeah, it, the, this, the sad truth is, uh, especially when we're shooting, not in Los Angeles, we're not even in the room most of the time oh, with, right. the, with the, the guest stars. Yeah. Um, and I, I shouldn't admit this, I don't even watch all of the audition like a lot of times there were so many parts and so many auditions that come in even though obviously casting you know narrows it down a lot of times i know in just a few seconds like i know for sure it's not them and i have to skip it and i feel like a dirtbag saying that but i do uh because it's i I know it doesn't matter how good the performance is you know at a certain point i know it's not going to get there i I think that speaks to something that people have a misconception about in our industry everybody here is acting oh what a hard thing there's so many people trying to do it my response is always no, it's any industry has tons of people trying to do it and they're yep. all very good at it. The thing that makes acting different is that a high percentage, 95% of the jobs, you're not appropriate for. That's true. And that's what makes it that's difficult. difficult. Interesting. You can be a fantastic actor and go in and in those first 30 seconds, they're like, yeah, he's good, but it's not right for this role. And right. it has nothing to do with anything else. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that is what makes the actor's life difficult. But when you go in and, and you leave it all on the floor and you you just graciously say thank you and leave and don't be like a, a hanger on or a clinger, mm-hmm. they will remember you for when it's right. Absolutely. That's true. And that, that's happened a lot too. Uh, it, so I, I don't want to give the impression we never watch the auditions because we do. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just some, sometimes we have to narrow it down pretty quickly. But sure. you know, when we get to like the last you know three, uh, there have been, there's I well, think of one case specifically, he was like our number two for a couple of different roles and it, there was a, a person who was better or the network picked someone over him or whatever but we remembered him and we're like that remember that guy let's put him in this role and we kind of crafted the role for him because we had seen him audition so many times and he, had, he ended up getting a role uh, on the show uh, because we did remember him. I love stories like that yeah. as actors we always want to hear stories like that because it's encouraging. Yeah, yeah we, we weren't forgotten. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, so back to the episode, uh, Danielle. Your horror with yourself is hilarious in this in this episode. Um, it's not a question; it's just true. Uh, and it, it reminds me of you know it's that Jer- Jim Carrey and Liar Liar kind of feel. Did you have any comedic influences going into this episode? Every episode, I'm basically channeling Madeline Kahn. This is what oh, I tell them. I was raised, yes. and a little Lucy. I got to say, it's probably because because a lot of that physical comedy. Uh, Madeline Kahn was very restrained, sure. and very sophisticated, but yeah. just juicy. I mean, what's the? How do you say it? There's so much going on with Madeline, and she's just like a force to be reckoned with, which is perfect for Hexala. Yep. But then, but then I also get to do these fun f- physical comedy things, especially in this episode, right, where I'm sort of smelling under my armpit, you know, um, <laughs> and punching yourself, and pun, yeah, and right, oh yeah. That's right. I took off the gloves and I just <laughs> slapped myself silly. And they let me do that. Yeah. I mean, they just keep letting me go. And I'm like, I'm going to keep going. Um, I, I'd say that those are two of my uh, biggest influences. And, and when I'm able to walk into a door and then sort of straighten my skirt and then walk through it properly. I mean, yeah. the, 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 I'm pulling from p- both of those women and, and uh, watching all the Mel Brooks films my whole life. And, you know, I love Lucy on repeat. Well, you couldn't have better influences than those women. They're they're the best. I love Madeline Kahn. I'm Madeline yeah. Kahn. She's ah. so funny. We could talk about her for a we whole could. podcast. So you turn the cobbler around uh, from punishing our heroes to being a tool they can use uh, to question the woodcutters. And we learn for the first time of a tree so valuable, woodcutters spend their days searching for it. Which came first? Deciding there would be a valuable tree mm-hmm. or deciding that there would be a queen tree that was Greta's mother. 
But we always wanted woodcutters in our world. I mean, we spend so much time in the woods, yes. and, and you know, woodcutter was a, a, a legitimate job uh, in the medieval world, and and so it just seemed very on brand for for our show. Uh, but the mother being turned into an oak tree came first, and this is one of those instances where we backed into something really cool. And I, I wish we could say that we had everything planned from the beginning, but if you remember in, in your first episode, uh, Flip, mm-hmm. uh, at the end, uh, Dwight and Greta are talking and you know, Dwight's going through this emotional story about how his parents died and he, you know, Greta keeps trying, you know, misunderstanding what an airplane is. And, and, <laughs> and, then, and then we wanted a, a really kind of funny, flippant remark for her is like, oh yeah, my father was eaten by fairies and my mother was turned into an oak tree. And so that was just a joke uh, at that point. And then we came, we realized later that we had sort of like retroactively like we left the breadcrumb for ourselves back there let's go pick it up and we didn't so i i i can't say that from that moment we knew uh, but then we realized you know we said her mom was turned to an oak tree let's we could run with that um and so so then once we had um that set up uh, we wanted to have woodcutters and, and it makes sense that they were you know searching for some magical tree and then it all came together and and you know was one of those beautiful sort of retroactive uh, moments where it all came together it's a beautiful moment it's a good character moment for yeah. her and it and it pulls the plot together perfectly as yeah. well so we get to the heart of the episode and we get a beautiful performance from Caitlin uh, when Greta pulls her sword to protect the tree Um what was it like on set for both of you watching this scene happen? There's sometimes where you realize you're witnessing something special, and this the shooting of this scene was one of those. And, and I remember the day on set. Uh, obviously, I hadn't seen fully what Greta, what Caitlin was going to bring to this moment. But when I did, I was I was flabbergasted. But but you know, grips were walking by crying. L- literally, I, I mean, it was there was like a hushed hushed reverent tone on the set that day and i i remember hearing you know people talking you know way away from where the cameras are talking to other crew members saying you got to go see what they're doing in there it's amazing uh, and and caitlin's performance really just brought an incredible uh, you know a tangible palpable energy to the set and you know seeing how much she was giving to it and and again i'm like almost welling up for te- with tears right now thinking about it i mean she, it, we we realized we were witnessing something special yeah yeah and to that point as an as an actor and just you know being in that moment every time Caitlin was present there every time Joel was present cuz Joel knew that secret about about her mother it was so easy to just be caught in the emotion of it and and the vulnerability and just to yeah to to be there it, we weren't trying for performance it was just literally just being in that moment and you know James was all he, he, yeah. sweet James would come from behind the monitor with tears streaming yeah. down his face mm-hmm. well isn't that just lovely yeah. <laughs> you know he'd just come over and it was it, it was and you're right obviously you know, we talked about this before you have to shoot you know the same scene from a lot of different angles several different times and every, every time, single take every time it had the same power and the same impact on you know the 150 people you know that in the crew and it, it was it was a very special moment and it was it was clear in the moment in, in that moment that it was special this is the gold of a comedy when you have a moment like that yeah because just laughing is you know that's fun and it can be on the surface and usually good laughs are when it's like a, like more of a deeper laugh like something oh that's so painful and relatable but then when you have this this sense of like this vulnerability and this um, this personal thing that's shared, 
Yeah. I think this is what's going to adhere people to the show, even in a, from a stronger standpoint. And we have the joy and the, and the luck of doing that on Dwight because you know, in that single camera modality, you can yeah. go to those deeper places. You, you can, and it and it's those lowlights that really accentuate the highlights, highlights right. um, and, and especially in a zany, just sort of crazy, <laughs> offbeat, weird World. episode like this, uh, to then at the very end bring in that emotional just punch to the yeah. gut. I mean, right. I, I think that that jarring shift in tone really does uh, I mean mess with your emotions but it also does like you know bond you to the characters and it's that full spectrum and you're gonna say it's a full spectrum because when people are laughing hysterically you're already sort of um off your guard you know what mm-hmm. I mean like you, there's a yeah. physical reaction this release and then all of a sudden you punch them right in that <laughs> opening with something that powerful then they start weeping and, yeah. and I do think that is the greatest strength of this show concept aside cast aside um, I think that we go from ridiculous comedy. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes the most ridiculous <laughs> comedy. I mean, you're slapping yourself in the face, telling yourself to stop in this episode, and that we can that it always turns around. I think almost every single episode mm-hmm. ends with this heartfelt, grounded moment. And some are bigger than others. You know, this is a more extreme one because she's protecting her mother. Um, others are smaller moments of of Dwight and Greta watching fireworks together. Yeah, but it always comes back to this thing, and the fact that you can balance those things. I think that for that for me is what makes this show special. Well, well we hope so. That we hope that that's what uh, endears people to the show and to the characters. So you 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 love them in those moments. I think so. Yeah, especially the people listening to our voices right now. <laughs> All right, for watching. Um, so uh, one more question about this episode. Uh, this is the first episode that does not cut to closing credits music. Yes. So this, uh, we specifically designed the the closing credits music to be really fun and upbeat. And actually, when I was a kid, the shows that I loved, uh, like Scooby-Doo, uh, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and actually the Dukes of Hazard, I loved that show. And the, the closing credits music would make me run around the house and just like bounce and jump off the sofa and tackle my brother. And I, we, I wanted to kind of recreate that kind of feel. Uh, and I think Christian Davis, our composer, did a perfect job of yeah. I mean, it's it's so great. But when you end on an emotional beat like this, you can't go to that. It's just, it's too jarring even for our jarring show and so we talked to christian and we're like we need we need an alternate uh you know credit music bed and he came up with what we used in, in this episode and and we will use it a couple of different times you know on on, on episodes that end on a more uh you know heartfelt somber moment uh we can't go to the which we're about to go in this podcast too <laughs> yes we are and with that music let's wrap it up uh for season two episode six of dwight and shining armor the sunken kingdom the behind the scenes podcast about everything dwight thank you brian thank you danielle thank you thank Josh. you so much for having us it's a pleasure you can follow brian on instagram at brian underscore j underscore adams you can follow danielle at danielle bazuti you can follow the show at dwight and shining armor and you can follow me at the josh breslow tune in again next week for season two episode seven queen tree i'm josh breslow thanks for listening go on an adventure today it might change your life <laughs>